Hello and welcome to People, Places, Power with me, Nick Cull. And me, Simon Anhold. In this podcast, we'll be talking about international reputation and foreign policy and a few other issues along the way. This is our second episode, and today we're going to focus on Britain. There are a lot of reasons for thinking about Britain right now, but the most important is Brexit, uh, Britain leaving the European Union uh, as of the start of this year. And um, this immediately throws up a number of questions about Britain's reputation. But the first thing I want to get into, Simon, is what you can see in the Nation Brands Index, because you've been studying opinion towards, feeling towards the um, most significant uh, countries in people's minds uh, for 15 years now, and uh, Britain doesn't seem to have been greatly damaged by Brexit. What kind of indicators are showing up for you in your research as you try and understand where Britain is post-Brexit? Well, the, the Nation Brands Index um, lived up to its reputation as the most boring social survey ever conducted, um, right from the word go, uh, when when Brexit started happening, when, when the results of the referendum were announced in uh, 2016, uh, Britain's image did slip ever so slightly, not massively in the overall international ranking of, of the 50 countries that we measure each year, but in the European neighbourhood, decidedly. So there was a definite cooling of public perceptions towards Britain in the immediate aftermath of the referendum. But the the strange thing was that Britain recovered pretty soon after that. And by 2017, it was as if the referendum had never happened. And that was only in the neighbourhood of Europe, other EU member states. When you looked at public perceptions outside Europe, it was as if nothing had happened at all. And I looked into this a bit because I found that quite interesting. And what I found, and I guess I should have expected it, was that most people outside the European neighborhood didn't know what this meant. They they don't really know, most people, what the European Union is. It sounds like what it is, which is a fairly uh, boring kind of institution that countries in Europe can belong to. And so consequently, I think people in the Americas and in Asia and, 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 and in Africa they looked at this and they thought to themselves, what's the big deal? So Britain is leaving some kind of what international trade organization. They knew it wasn't leaving Europe. They knew that um, that we hadn't attached a bunch of tugs uh, to the islands of Great Britain and the United Kingdom and towed it off across the Atlantic towards America. Therefore, it couldn't have been anything very special and people speedily forgot about it. Uh, took a little longer for the French and Germans in particular. There was a noticeable warming of approval towards Britain from the more Atlanticist nations, the Dutch in particular, some of the Scandinavians, Portugal. Um, but generally speaking, whatever impact the referendum had, or indeed the moment when we did actually leave the European Union, it didn't seem to have much impact on uh, Britain's image whatsoever. I think it'll. Uh, everything really depends on what that actually does for Britain's standing in the world over time after the departure. And it will take much, much longer to register on the on on the NBI. Well, looking at looking at the numbers, I think uh, Britain is still in the top five, uh, other than in the category of government governance. Yeah, um, that that seems to be the one that that uh, people are least impressed with. Uh, but for culture and tourism, 
uh, Britain still places it, it places in, in third place, and yet overall it comes in uh, second, which would suggest that Britain has um, strengths across the board that a lot of other countries lack. Um, for Japan, for example, is number one in exports, but doesn't really figure in any of the other top top five categories. Is that your sense too? Yes, absolutely. I mean, one of the things that I've noticed from the NBI over the, over the last uh, however long it's been running, um, 15 years or so, um, is that people in their minds do quite naturally tend to put countries into one of two buckets. They see They perceive most countries as being either decorative or useful. So if you're Germany, then you're useful. Okay, you're good at doing stuff, you're efficient, the rule of law is vigorous, and people know you can make things. So it's a very good national image to, uh, to add equity to your technological exports, your cars, your musical instruments, and all the things that Germany benefits from. If you are decorative, you're more like, say, Brazil or Italy, where the association is more with soft human values, lovely landscape, lovely cuisine, lovely culture, lovely people, all very gorgeous, but incapable of organizing anything, not reliable, not safe, not predictable. So this is a very, very, very childish, reductive stereotype, but that is basically how people in a hurry um, categorize nations in their minds. And it's important, even though it's rather silly, because it does directly drive the way that they behave towards those countries. Britain is very, very unusual in that it's one of the few, few countries that scores equally well for decorative and useful. There are lots of things about it, particularly its modern culture, but also its cultural heritage, which are much admired. But at the same time, it's also perceived to be relatively effective as a country. It knows how to organize things. It does things well. It's a stable, peaceful, just and well-ordered society. So we have some of the best things of being slightly Germanic or Northern Europe, but we don't lose out by being regarded as people without a sense of humor um, or who are only good at organizing right. things. And that's one of the things that gives Britain Britain's image its essential robustness. But I think that the lack of volatility following Brexit might have to do with the, the fact that the ferocity of the discussion really shocked British people. Um, but a number of our closest allies are not incredibly surprised that we've taken this line. And there might be this reputational discounting going on where people always thought that Britain was on a divergent path. They always understood that Britain was uh, less clubbable than some of the other European countries, and they've tolerated this in us. So our eccentricity doesn't come as a complete surprise. It's more of a shock to British people, who, and especially internationalists in the UK, who I think overestimated the extent to which the country was behind a European project. Uh, from the outside, um, it seems pretty clear that um, nothing very major has happened to the, the way that people perceive Britain, because beforehand, again, this is a rather unusual thing about the UK, there were, there were always two narratives about Britain in people's minds, a sort of old-fashioned one and a sort of modern one, which kind of coexist. Right. Um, the old-fashioned one is the one that you might call the Sherlock Holmes, Downton Abbey, Charles Dickens one where everything is kind of foggy and gloomy and old-fashioned and rather snooty and snobby. And people love that. That's why they love Downton Abbey, Downton Abbey. But the other one is the more modern Cool Britannia one, if you like. The James Bond, Mr. Bean, 
Spice Girls. I'm showing my age here, but you know what I mean. <laughs> that, right, the, 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 the Mr. Bean one, um, right. the, the funny, comical, creative, uh, informal one. And I think that uh, basically when, when, when the Brexit vote was announced, the majority of people who don't know much about Britain and don't spend a lot of time thinking about it just thought, oh, OK, that fits. That's the Downton Abbey one. This is a country that's got phantom empire syndrome, you know, like phantom limb syndrome. If you have a leg cut off and it keeps on itching, we had an empire cut off and we keep on scratching it. And everybody knows this about us. And so they thought, OK, they miss the, 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 the age when they could look down their noses at the rest of the world. And now they're following that particular path. What's new? That was always there and it was always part of our narrative. If it temporarily or worse still in the long term defeats or knocks out the the Mr. Bean version, then we'll lose out because that's been very, very useful for, for British trade and British interactions with actions with the international community for some time. Ever since Tony Blair and Cool Britannia, the dominant narrative of the UK internationally has been pop music, creativity, originality, daring, informality, the things that people who admire us admire us for on the whole. If we've lost that by leaving the European Union, then we've lost something of great value. But this then gets us into the... Britain has this reputation because of things it's done consistently for a long, long time. It has to carry some things forward. We have had a strategy articulated, uh, going back to Theresa May, of global Britain. Do you think, what do you think of that strategy? Is there enough in it to actually continue to deliver on Britain's reputation going forward? I I think global Britain, I mean, all I have is those two words. I don't know what lies behind it, but they are quite suggestive words. And um, now, um, five years or whatever it's been after the referendum, I've personally come to terms with the idea of Brexit. I have to, I have no choice. None of us have any choice. Um, to the extent that I could almost be excited by the idea of global Britain, but I fear that it's my own interpretation of it and not the one shared by the government. My interpretation, the best version of global Britain, is that we perceived that the urgency to be a truly multilateral player, what I call an entrepreneurial multilateralist, one that constantly makes new connections with other countries, with states, with cities, regions, and other players around the world in order to tackle the grand challenges in a really versatile and really energetic and really imaginative and creative way. And we felt, this is the good version, that we couldn't achieve that within the European Union because the European Union, even though it is the noblest experiment in the history of humanity, a large number of countries having the the wit and the maturity to set aside their differences and to cede a tiny part of their precious sovereignty for the sake of collective well-being and collective progress, still the European Union is fundamentally inward-looking. It is uh, a group of somewhere under 30 nations collectively looking to their own interest. It's a self-interest group. And I love the idea of a global Britain that says this is no longer big enough for the challenges that face us. We need to separate ourselves from this inward-looking club and start operating on a much wider scale. Something about that is reflected in some of the pronouncements of the Johnson government from time to time, but I fear that that's, their interpretation of it is purely commercial. They just want to be free to trade wherever they want and compete more effectively against more countries, and that's almost exactly the opposite of what I would yeah, mean. We do have opinion polls now that are suggesting that some of the more outlandish suggestions like uh, having navy in the China Sea and so forth are not supported by by, by the British public. 
who've also, in the, uh, one recent survey, were saying that they want to have more to do with the European Union and mistrust the United States, even following the election of Biden. They feel that, that uh, whilst they are accepting of Brexit, they want to be um, EU adjacent, right, uh, rather than fantasizing about some kind of mid-Atlantic position. Yeah, but but I wanted to ask you, Nick. I mean, you know, you're uh, you're an Englishman living in the United States. You are an Englishman, I am, aren't you? I am. Yes. How did you find the conversations went in the US? How did your students and friends react to Brexit? <laughs> well, the main thing they asked me is, "What's it like? What's it like?" And and, and so I got so used to saying this, whether it was students or TV station <laughs> ringing up to ask, that I, I said that it's rather like calling home and trying to work out from my mother what's going on. And she says, oh, uh, dad started drinking again and he's juggling with chainsaws. And, the, you know, the, the, the news from the UK was completely unrelatable too. And then to go back for a wedding and be told, uh, you know, by the officiant at a wedding, please silence all cell phones and do not discuss Brexit. And <laughs> like, like this was the most normal thing in the world. That was very, very strange. And I found it quite painful that there are people that I love on both sides of the um, both sides of, of the discussion and the level of animosity mm. that people have to each other and how disrespectful they are to one another on both sides is really quite um, quite shocking. And I'm, I'm also, you know, as a result of this, uh, some of the insistence on the UK, the assumption that Britain will be a single thing going forward seems to be a little far-fetched because they are, are rather presumptive because talking to friends in Scotland, they really feel that they're on a divergent uh, path now. And I saw a Global Britain video where they, they talked about Britain having its own space program and launching, uh, launching space rockets from somewhere in Scotland. And I can see that Scotland might not think that was the best idea. Well, they've got to do something with those cruise missiles, haven't they? <laughs> yes, I suppose, suppose so. But um, you know, when we're thinking about the attempt of Britain to engage international, the international imagination, we have this uh, next year, these two big events. Uh, the Queen will have been Queen for 70 years. So there's going to be the Platinum Jubilee. And there's this uh, Festival of British Creativity, Festival of the UK, uh, 2022 um, to showcase. Um, do you think that'll make a difference? Will, will can this be a uh, these events be an opening, um, uh, a, a sort of an opening fanfare for global Britain, or, or do you expect that the world will even will even notice, given how much else there is going on? On on the whole, people don't notice things like that that go on in other countries. I mean, I've lost count of the number of governments who've said to me, you know, we're celebrating the 200th anniversary of our glorious revolution. And obviously that's going to put us in the global spotlight and we have to decide. And I hardly know how to say to them that, you know, it's just it's not like that. Um, Britain, well, because it's the royal family and monarchies do have a certain romance and people are quite interested in them if they don't live in a monarchy themselves. So yes, that may get a, get a bit of um, a bit of visibility. What, what I always say, and I've said it forever and ever, and I should ask myself if I still mean it or not, is that um, 
things like that, it's extremely unlikely that they're going to change your image because all they can possibly do is reinforce what people already believe. But that in itself is maybe a worthwhile thing to do because, as I've said over and over again, a reputation is not something you own, it's something you rent. Right. And that rent must continue to be paid. And of course, there are uh, millions of kids growing up in China and right around the world uh, today who don't know what Britain is and aren't taught British history at school. Why should they be? We're just another country somewhere in Europe. Probably have trouble distinguishing Britain and Bhutan, I mean, or, or Belgium. And so if you don't occasionally do things to make a statement about who you are and what you stand for, then possibly you could be forgotten. Uh, and possibly that would be a bad thing. But, but I really don't know, because all of my experience of so-called nation branding is that it doesn't work. It doesn't really matter how much countries spend on bragging about the things they're doing or the things they've done. Nobody's paying any attention because fundamentally people aren't terribly interested in other countries. The majority of the world's population. You, you've, you've also been tracking absolute contributions to the common good around the world through the, through the Good Country Index. What is the reality of Britain's contribution when you uh, look at it as against Britain's GDP? Where does it stand in the good country index? It's in the top 10, isn't it? If I... Yeah, we're, we're eighth in the current edition. Um, we always do pretty well. Um, wh what does that mean? Well, it's, it's, it's worth explaining um, that, that being near the top or having a, um, a high ranking in the good country index means that you're doing a good job of harmonizing your domestic and your international responsibilities. In other words, you're doing what you're expected to do, which is to look after your own people and your own territory, but you're not forgetting your obligations to the wider uh, planet and the wider humanity. So Britain does a reasonably good job at that. We're not superstars like the, like the, the Nordic countries, but eight out of 160 countries is a really, really good ranking. The interesting thing about the Good Country Index, which is, as you say, a measure of behavior, and the Nation Brands Index, which is a measure of perceptions, is the correlation between them, which is over 80%. Now, you know, as a good statistician, that you never get a correlation of 80% in polls like this. It's, it's overwhelmingly correlated. And this is one of the reasons why uh, the advice that I'm constantly giving to governments when they say to me, what can we do to improve our image? I say, don't waste your money on PR or branding, just do something useful. Um, it's exactly the same principle as corporate social responsibility, except at the level of the nation state. What the data shows very, very clearly is that the countries who do good do well. The only reason why anybody would interest, be interested in another country is not because their blessed queen is having her 70th anniversary or whatever it is. It's because they think that this country is contributing something to the common good. I feel good about Britain because I know they're tackling climate change. I feel good about Mexico because I know they're tackling drug trafficking. I feel good about America because I know they're tackling uh, social injustice, whatever it is. That's what makes people respect countries. And it's important to be respected because that translates directly into more trade, more tourism, more foreign investment, more talent, and this, that, and the other. So if you want to do well, you have to do good. There's no question about that. But this brings us now uh, to the question of the virus and whether the world will uh, look at Britain and remember the chaotic elements in the British response or whether they will look to the uh, British involvement in successfully creating a vaccine uh, and positive elements in Britain's... Which do you think it's going to be? Which narrative will prevail? 
Well, I have to try and answer this in about 15 seconds because we've run through our time already, <laughs> alas. But um, basically, I don't think that Britain or any other country has so far done anything big enough or dramatic enough vis-a-vis -vis the pandemic for it to stand out from the crowd. At the moment, people are vaguely aware of the fact that every country on earth is suffering from this problem. Some are managing it a bit better domestically than others. Some are trying to make themselves look nice by mask diplomacy and other such pathetic, futile efforts to buy people's um, um, uh, admiration. But so far, with the sole exception of China, which sadly is widely held responsible for the whole thing, no country has really done anything that's going to make it stand out. So when this pandemic is done and gone, unless some country does something remarkable, I don't think we're going to see any change in any of the rankings as a result of anything that's happened through the pandemic. Well, that's all we have time for today. Thanks for listening. This has been People, Places, Power. I'm still Nick Cole. And I think I'm still Simon Anhold.